Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. How are you both doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I've been writing lots of property tests the last couple days. Nice. Uh, way too many. So we're implementing an FTP server mm-hmm. in in Elixir. So I, I'm utilizing PropCheck and uh, Erlang's FTP and INETs and generating basically a, a big test suite that exercises FTP fully. So when it's done, anybody who wants to write their own FTP server can that is so cool. How have you found property testing to be uh, so far with all that? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's worked out really well. So I, most of the property testing I've done has been small and at the functional level, and I keep trying to do full system level. And when I saw the FTP thing, I thought, wow, that would be simple to do full system and to really reason through. One of the things that got me with prop check is the um, preconditions not having the actual return values. So, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Symbolic call hell. Yeah, so yeah. I, I was like trying to check that if the return was okay to have one precondition or if it was error to have another precondition and then realized I can't. <laughs> so you're using proper and uh, you're using the statum stuff or prop check and the statum stuff for all this? Yeah. Yep. yep. All right. And it, it's working pretty well. Um I, I have found some issues with, like, I'm working with Ranch, right? And some things are not real-time or they're callbacks. Like, I get an okay back, so the, but then if I check the state of the system, it may not quite be to where I expect it to be just because of timing. Mm. So that that's one thing. But I, I've run into that before when doing full system checks, like, on a website, right? So you if you're click on something on on a on a website you it's you can't just assert it right away that it changed because it might take a second mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right like you're it's not quite deterministic enough because there's there's time involved right with this well unless stuff. unless your web server is written in phoenix right and then it takes microseconds <laughs> of seconds two million users <laughs> a single box <laughs> on a raspberry pi on a raspberry pi <laughs> in course. my closet how it's done what's been the most uh what was the biggest learning given that you haven't quite done this before symbolic responses yep uh do you want to explain what those are in case people haven't used uh statum and aren't familiar with what symbolic calls mean sure so you when the tests start up they they generate a uh a list of commands and that list of commands uh, looks like an MFA, module function arguments. And then as it's generating that list of commands, it has to generate uh, state representation changes. So what your test thinks the system kind of looks like uh, so that your test can later use that to assert on. So as it generates these, you also, it, you know, it could generate um, maybe some, some command orders that don't make sense, like connect, Disconnect, disconnect. Well, I'm already disconnected. So you want that state in there. Uh, you want to be able to say, well, that's not really a valid command set. So, but as it's generating these, uh, like when you connect, it might give you a PID back, and you need to use that PID in the next command. But since it's not actually running the command, uh, this is very probably 
proper or statem dependent, but it sends back uh, var colon one, so like a map. Um, and for like the very first command's response, the second command's var two is its response, the third command's var three. So you can use that var one, var two, var three later. Um, you don't really have to keep track of which variable it is. You can just use it like it, I treated it like a PID in my case because it was returning a PID. Um, but you can't do things in your preconditions where you're trying to eliminate uh, what the commands are that aren't valid. I can't say this is a PID because it's not until it runs the second time and when it actually has the answers and is checking, and then you can. So I was getting a failure where it said precondition false, and I'm like, precondition shouldn't be used for, as failures. Those are those are for making sure that my command sequence is right. It should just eliminate that command, and then I found out it's because I was trying to check for things to be PIDs and all kinds of crazy stuff. Right, so you're experiencing the, uh, the problem where you actually need to care about the the thing that you're getting back. Um, and yeah, you just can't do it. And the reason <clears throat> we should explain too that when it initially creates the command sequence, it uses your idealized model to do that. You know, it, 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 one part of the model is if I'm in this state, I can generate these sets or this list, something in this list of symbolic calls that need to get executed later on. And those are guaranteed to sort of be in the correct order because they're based on your state machine. So, well, they're guaranteed as long as like your state machine is written correctly. Your ideal They're guaranteed state to ma match your state machine, whether right. it's right or wrong. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but once you have generated that sequence of commands and those that sequence of commands has found a fault, the way it shrinks in statem is it just starts removing them blindly. Like it just starts trying to like take them out of the of the sequence. And at that point, all bets are off that your sequence is in any sort of meaningful order anymore. Like, and that's why you need the preconditions. And the typical way that you get around the, uh, the symbolic variable problem, because uh, like you said, it's not actually being run yet and you don't have values yet or anything like that. So all it can do is return a symbolic variable. The way you get around that is by uh, creating a new symbolic call with the symbolic variable as part of the argument. Does that make sense? So if you wanna check that something is a PID, um, you could have a function, or if you wanna check that your the, the thing that you got returned in a precondition is a certain way, then what you can do is have a function in your test module that is like is PID. Well, I realize there already is an is PID, but like, you know, you could have like an is foo and it could accept an argument. And then when you want to call it in your precondition, you call it with a symbolic variable, with a symbolic call. So you would say like call uh, underscore underscore module underscore underscore. So the module you're in and then pass the symbolic variable as the argument. Does that make sense? This is impossible to explain with just voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm getting it because I've, I've been in this now. Um, I didn't think about that. 
there it's well it's because it's not it doesn't it's not clear it's not clear that you can just do that this is why this stuff is so hard and i think it's it's um why a lot of people haven't maybe necessarily dove into this stuff is because it is complicated to understand how you interact with all these variables and like what is the difference with like this bites everybody everybody who starts doing preconditions immediately is like why can't i actually use the return that i that i got well it's because it doesn't exist yet um, and that's the way around it though, is you continue just to use symbolic calls and then they get executed correctly when you actually run against the real model, but during your generation phase, they don't. And, and I'll, I'll put a, a link to the, to the FTP test that I'm working on, uh, oh, rad. That'll be in rad. the show notes so that you can get a look, but I'm not doing any of that, uh, the way he's talking about where I'm checking that it's a PID in preconditions now. I just decided that if it, comes back as an error in the post condition I should probably just fail unless later I have something that is a failed connection that's supposed to come back as an error then I'll then I'll have to worry about what, what he's saying and and in, you said is pid exists I think will be pid would be a good oh yeah that would make sense Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Or like maybe is a PID or some like or maybe it's an error or something like that. Oh, uh, then it gets confused with maybe monad. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we don't want to talk about no, that. No, we don't. Well, are there any? You all have done more property testing than I have. Are there any? And it, it does, and there is complexity. I agree. Are there? Have you found? I mean, I think it's just part of it's just getting into it and trying to understand. But for folks that want to start, what? From y'all's y'all's experience, what resources would you maybe recommend as far as documentation to get a better understanding? Oh, it's time for our weekly um, Fred Fred review. Yeah, there we it's go. It's time for exactly. our weekly Fred exactly. Fred hour. That's what I was getting towards, but you know. Well, I'm gonna instead of saying Fred, I mean, uh, I'm just gonna go straight to the source. And and if you really like white papers uh, and academics, you could read John Hughes and uh, was it Kurt something wrote the Quick Check paper. Uh, but that that's not going to teach you the teach you the Erlang side or or the Elixir stuff. Uh, so then, uh, Chris, do you do you want to do the honors? <laughs> well, I think it's come up on every episode yep. we've done so far. Yep. But um, yep. but proper testing yep. is really 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 good, yep. and that's a great place to get started with this. Um, you can also read through the state M docs uh, that are a part of like proper's docs. Um, so if you're using prop check, that will help. Uh, make that stuff make sense and there is a uh, paper uh, by John Hughes I think post he post launching Cuvic so talking about EQC and their experiences with EQC and I'll try to I don't remember the title of that paper Um, but I will try to find that paper and it goes into explaining a lot about how state machine tests work and why they chose symbolic calls um, and that was a that was really useful for me to get that backstory and that context of why they wanted to use symbolic calls and why they use symbolic variables and how you deal with them. And actually, that that really helped me just formulate uh, like an understanding of what was going on because they just in the paper, if I remember correctly, he he says something along the lines of like they never considered not doing that because it's so obvious that you would do that. <laughs> And I was like, "Oh, uh-huh. well, it's very unobvious to me, so I need to understand why that, why that is." And like, yeah, the, the paper basically says like, "It's a no-brainer. Of course, we did it this way because it just makes it's it right, makes all the sense in the world." Totally. I'll I'll leave uh, creating calculus as an exercise to the reader. <laughs> <laughs> 
because it's How generous trivial. of you? How generous of you? Amos? Trivial. Yeah. It's just One. a simple matter of programming at this point. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's uh, my favorite hand wavy BS uh, scientific journal term is it's and then it's just a simple matter of programming. Yeah, I should pull out the FTP test to their own GitHub repo and then just say FTP server trivial. <laughs> it's just a simple matter of ftp it's fine yeah. yeah i went to a talk once where the the premise of the talk was like learn all about distributed logs meaning like kafka and you know learn about the the underpinnings of that stuff and then the talk basically starts and the first slide is like given you have a distributed log then here's all these things that you can do with it. You're like, wait. Like, this is a really oh. big assumption. But it's easy, right? It's like, that's all, you know. It's a simple matter of programming. Oh, man. If, if, you, if you do get out there and start using prop check and proper and reading both of the documents and working, push back some documentation to prop check because it could, it could use some help. Um, and that's not, I'm not trying to say bad things about it when I say it could use some help. We, we all could use better documentation all the time because everybody learns differently and thinks differently. So get out there and improve stuff. Well, and that's just part of the conversation we had last week, right? Just if you have the capacity or bandwidth to help at all um, in any capacity, it's useful. So what, what have you guys been up to? Have you been doing anything fun with Elixir, Chris? No. Not, not at all. <laughs> I think, I, so I, I learned this morning that I'm the only one writing Elixir full-time right now. That's changing um, for me really soon. I heard about um, that. Yay. Which I guess we can go ahead and... it's. I mean, it's, a, it's all official now. Oh, okay. So I guess I can go ahead and say all this uh, out loud. Um, but I'm... Uh, as, as of... This podcast is no longer going to be evergreen because I'm going to date it. But as of tomorrow, Friday, the May, May the 4th, um, I will no longer be working at Latote, and uh, I'm going to be taking a job with uh, Bleacher Report to work on a lot of their backend systems and services and scaling stuff. And that's going to be fun. Other just yeah, I'm I'm super super pumped about it. Congratulations! Uh, thank you. Maybe you could write some property tests there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's already I've already uh, messaged friend of the show Bryn, Ben Marks, ben Marks yeah. and. And I've said, hey, we need to work out, you need to get your legal team on this um, GPL licensed proper thing and figure out what that's going to look like because we're going to need that. So state, stated in, in prop check, in the, at the bottom of their readme, it says that you can test your library with it. So I just look the other way since I know prop check uses proper and pretend that that's my legal <laughs> step forward. There is an issue open on proper, and the issue is more or less, can we replace the GPL license with something that's more permissive because it scares people away from it? And the pushback there is like, well, it's basically an academic research project. We want to make sure that it's, we want to retain these sort of ethics or whatever. But in any case, there's a long discussion about it, and the statement was made in that issue that as long as your library is open source then you can use proper for that where use is pretty ambiguous. And, and it's also like, I, I fully respect that. And that's great that they came out and said that like, Hey, we'll never, you know, challenge you if you're using it for your other open source thing. But like, that's also not, that's like not legally binding in any way. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's great that we have like a good faith effort to do that. I think that's like, 
that's a great thing. But for certain companies that do have concerns about it, you know, there's there's a whole thing. So there is one way around it if you're nervous. Is open source your library? Well, well that, that or works. Or just don't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that works too. That also works. I would never suggest it. <laughs> um, but put it, put your tests in a separate project entirely, and then have that depend on your your main project. Yeah, I've heard of people doing that, um, and I've also heard of other companies that were large companies uh, that had legal teams that looked it all over and basically said, as long as you're never shipping the proper source code or your tests to production, then it was all fine. Do you have and to open source? Do you have to make your tests no. available to people though? Mm -mm. You don't have to put those no. online. No, no. It's like, it was all cool as long as you didn't put it on a server. And if you're cutting releases, then by, by which I mean, you're baking like a real Erlang release using like distillery mm -hmm. or something, then, then you would, then that would be you like, cause you're not going to bake in the, your test dependencies and your tests right. into that release. No, that makes sense. But like, you know, I, st I still know people who deploy Elixir with Git. And in that case, like, are you are you OK? Like, I don't know. So it's it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I am not a lawyer. Check with check with someone who if you're if this is a thing that you are like concerned about, which I think it is. Maybe I'm making like a mountain out of a molehill here, but I think it is worth being concerned about if you're a company at specific scale and uh, you do need to to check with someone like who is an on the clock lawyer uh, who can give you real advice and tell you, you know, where you're at with it all. Yeah. Like if somebody sues my company, they're going to be real depressed with the amount of, I'm less concerned. Right. <laughs> yeah. But if your test, like you no, said, my clients, a separate oh, yeah. repo, right? Like completely then. Yeah. Right. That, I think that is a, that is like a way around it for sure. Um, I don't know. It's. I mean, for companies at scale that are really using this heavily, and you know, have they have different concerns than if it's a smaller scale. That, mm -hmm. That's the the problem with GPL is it's really hard to say. You know, I'm I'm utilizing it to implement something else that that I'm not really adjusting the original software or inserting it into my software, but. There, there's like this gray area with GPL where it's really hard with the wording that's there to come up with. Is this really in the software or not? And then most lawyers, unfortunately, they don't really know either. Unless you have somebody who has like a tech background. I, I would get some IP lawyer who has a comp sci degree <laughs> and have them look it over. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Ch check with someone who's... who is knowledgeable about these things because um, I'm not. And also it's just, to me, it's boring. Like I don't want to, I don't know. It's like, it's not interesting. That's fair. Um, proper is, is a great tool, uh, all things considered. And so, um, and it does, it does the, the, the stadium stuff is, is really, really the magical bit of it. Uh, you know, I still contend like that is where the real power is. Um, the rest of it's fun and, and is good but nothing compares to being able to do the, the state machine uh, testing stuff. So. so something that got brought up to me recently about property testing in general was whether Elixir Core should actually have a property testing. I want to call it a library, but it's not a library once it's in Core. But have property testing as part of Core, like we have XUnit as part of Core? 
You mean adding stream data? Yeah, or or whatever, any anything you know, I licensing wise that fits. But does that belong in core or not? And I've seen some major arguments about it. So I'd just like to get both of your takes on whether you think that is a core thing or external. I have my own opinions that I might may, hop in may here or and may say, not but share. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll share them. But I want you guys to go first. I don't want to muddy the waters, Chris. Um, <laughs> well, so I have a gut react. So my gut reaction is I don't understand the arguments to not add it unless, unless you also follow that argument with X unit shouldn't be part of core. And then you start adding like a whole host of other things. And like that spirit, like sort of, uh, from, from an emotional standpoint, I can at least get behind, I can understand having that argument. I don't understand how you could have an argument that's like, I think there are technical things in stream data that are that like still need to be worked on. Um, you know, like clearly it's not added to core yet, which means that they don't think it's ready to be added to core yet, uh, sort of tacitly. And that's not to say stream data is bad, but stream data, stream data is still a work in a work in progress. And I think that that's <clears throat> that's fine. I can understand the argument that like you want to keep the language small and you want to keep the the library small or not the libraries but like the you want to keep like the package that is elixir small so you just don't bundle x unit you don't bundle stream data you don't bundle like a ton of other things and just don't add any libraries at all to it and make it this tiny little like core of of, of a language that does these very few things has these very few primitives and makes them really really good um, and that person probably also wants types or something like that. I don't know. Like people have, you know, those sorts of opinions. And, and, and spiritually, I can get behind that opinion in the sense that I understand why you would have that opinion. Right. It's not an opinion that I personally have, but I can at least identify with that opinion. The thing that I can't get behind is like, where do you, why are you drawing the line arbitrarily at stream data and uh, you know, not X unit. Right. And, and I'm not saying that that person or those arguments are saying that, but I think you either have to throw it all out or you have to accept that you're, this is going to be a holistic package that has all these tools mm -hmm. available for people right out of the box. And these are the right ways of doing things. Does that make sense? Totally. I mean, that's kind of along the lines of what I was, what I was thinking also, it sounds like, I mean, I don't know, you know, what the core team's plans are, but I think that's, you kind of alluded to the fact that like, it, maybe it's, it's not part of it yet. It's just, and then things take work and time and energy to make sure that they're right and high quality before putting something into, into a language, right? So I think the fact that they really care about that and are paying attention to that is important. And I also wonder, like, for the argument of people who don't, who want a really small package versus the people who are okay with things like XUnit and stream data or want XUnit and stream data added in as far as, like, accessibility and ease of use, making it easier for people who are newer to get started and get set up and using some of these tools, right? Yeah, I completely agree with that. Like the accessibility of coming to a language and immediately having this like pretty good set of tools right out of the box that does these things that sort of force you or not force you, but encourage these really good practices. Like write tests, write tests. If you're going to write a library and write an application, write tests, you know, it, the fact that that's all baked into the experience is to me a huge part of what makes Elixir a fun language to work in. Uh, and, and, out of all the testing tools I've ever used in any language, the ones that were built into the language, like 
like Anno kind of alluded to is they were way easier to set up because the other testing tools, you had to figure out how to hook them in and, and it wasn't just part of the runtime system kind of is how, how the, the built-in testing tools seem to be part of everything set up. So you don't have to go through some complex um, configuration or, or jump through a bunch of hoops just to get it to maybe hook into the system at the right time or anything like that. Have you ever tried to unit test C? <laughs> no, have you? Yeah. <laughs> How did that go, Amos? I, um, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> Wait, you don't unit test C or you don't write C? Yeah. Uh, I, I, no, I write some C once in a while, but not very often. I avoid it if I can. But uh, I rarely really write tests for it directly. Uh, I try to write tests in some other language and run the C somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. contained well and i think that's a direct reflection right i think that definitely is just like really illustrates well what we were just talking about right like if we want people to be writing tests because it is important or if we think it's important to writing and shipping confident you know code that actually works making it easier just makes it that much more likely that people will actually be able to use it understand it and continue practicing it and i have very different reasons but i wanted it in there too uh so I kind of feel like if it's used to build the language, then it should probably be a part of the language, you know, to a point. I mean, I'm not going to add make to the language because we have make or whatever. But if you have to pull down a library that's written in that language in order to write that language, that seems really wrong to me. Uh, And I personally would love to see elixir itself tested with property tests and making making it more solid because i i do think that property testing is a way to make way better software than just with example testing and i love example testing but just the the weird corner cases that i've seen in in the proper property testing libraries that i've that i've used or seen what other people have used that have popped out is kind of amazing. And so I want that in core. Yeah, I don't I'm trying to think through the downsides of adding stream data to 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 core. Like just to just to think through what the other side is, you know, to, to kind of have empathy towards like like why are people why would people not want this? So and, some of the arguments. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I want to. So that's actually no. That's that's a good. That's a good point. I I would like to know what are the other. What are the arguments for for not including it? I have things in my head. Um, you know, I've made my own head canon about this person now and why they don't want stream data. But I, but it'd be it'd be uh, good to actually hear real things. Well, you said size the package download, which is something that I've heard. Like if I'm not going to use it, I don't want it there. If I'm not going to write. A web app, I don't want Phoenix to be pulled down automatically, right? And one of the other big ones was that if you put it into the language and into the testing framework, then people coming to the language feel like they really have to use it and no property testing before they can really utilize language. That that was that was the the reason I was given, and that so it might push more people away instead of pulling more people in because they they feel like I really need to learn this first 
or I need to understand this before I'm able to write good Elixir code. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I have to think about that one. I mean, I don't, maybe that's a thing. Um, but I wonder, I wonder why. It's somebody's thing. Yeah, yeah, no, but I'm yeah, curious. I mean, somebody... that, that's an interesting argument, right? But sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, no, no. I'm, I'm formulating a, a lot thoughts. of thoughts. So, I just, I yeah. think it's interesting in the sense that, I don't know if you look at any other analogy, any other language that ships with testing or, I mean, I think ease of setup and accessibility to the tools doesn't necessarily mean that, I, I mean, I'm interested, I'm curious about the perspective in the sense that, um, adding something makes people feel compelled to have to use it. Um, I don't know. And maybe it that's didn't valid. didn't work for X unit. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess that's probably a real thing that people do. Like I've seen people, you know, I've worked in, on, on rails for forever and there's plenty of things that I don't ever use in rails for a host of reasons that we don't need to get on, get into. <laughs> um, but that I see people use because they are there. So I mean, yeah, I guess there's, I mean, there's like, there's true. probably some amount that's of true. that. That's true. That is, those are not the reasons that I would, if like you, if you sat me down, um, uh, Star Trek Next Generation style, and I was Riker and had to like put like, uh, like put data on the stand, um, and all that, like, sorry, is this reference landing at all with anybody? No. Okay. Cool. Oh yeah, um, I got it. So, 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 like, if you told me I had to go argue for why stream data was not gonna be um, added to to Elixir, uh, here's what I would here's what I would cite. Once you put it in Elixir, it's now locked to Elixir releases, which means that bug fixes have to be included with Elixir releases. And I think that, um, uh, what's the right, what's the non-contentious way to say this? Other, t- other tools that have been added to the language, like the formatter, have had to like have point releases to, to fix things. You know what I'm saying? Like we've had to, ha- we've had to have releases of Elixir that just fix, not just fix formatter stuff, but that include a lot of formatter fixes, right? And that's the... That's what happens when you bring something into the, the to the core of the language. Is now um, you limit your ability to release new features because you have to release them alongside of Elixir as a language. Um, so that I think is like a reasonable argument that you could make uh, as to why to not include stream data. Um, I don't know. Like I think you could probably reasonably argue that by having something in core, you sort of necessarily limit the amount of options that people are going to want to use or, or like, that's not the right way to say that. You are gonna drive in a, the adoption of a tool arbitrarily because it's included. Like, how many yes. people do you know that don't use XUnit? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, there are other test runners that are out there for Elixir I don't, I've never worked with anybody who used one. I see a lot of code where they're not using XUnit either. Well, but, but my <laughs> point is like, tests? like far no. and away, the most popular test runner for Elixir is gotta be XUnit. Like, like just anecdotally, right? I have nothing to back that up, but my own anecdotes, which is, you know, we're on the internet, so that's as good as anything else. But <laughs> oh, what's the X spec? <laughs> you yeah, know, there are, other and it things. just gets, it, it gets a hard wrap. I don't, I don't, I, here's the thing is like, I've never used those things. I'm not even here to say that they're good or bad or whatever. They're probably great. People have probably put a ton of love and attention into those libraries and they're probably awesome. But you know, like you, the community uses XUnit because it's there 
and because it's like built in. And so I think there is an argument to be made that like by having stream data, you might limit the amount of love and attention that some of these other tools get. Um, that's probably an argument someone could make and, and, and would be a reasonable argument to make. I don't know that that's an argument I'm going to make. But I, again, I would sort of emotionally resonate with someone who did make that argument. Like I could see why somebody would make that argument. Yeah, no, I mean, not, I don't think we're here saying one argument is uh, more valid than another argument. There are many, I mean, clearly there are many different perspectives. Um, it'll be interesting to see the choice that is made. But I think, I think you're right. I think there are pros and cons to both sides. I think it depends on what the goal is or which argument the Elixir core team finds is in line with their vision for Elixir, right? And I, I wonder if there, there, there's, there's got to be a way to have it in core, but maybe still have it as a separate releasable library too, so that you could get the updates that you're talking about. Like Ruby has some things like that, right? They have some things that ship as part of the Ruby download, but they also can, you can upgrade them through Ruby gems, Ruby gems itself, for instance. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about the internals either. to know if that's possible or not. And I also, I just wonder how, how much people would actually do that. Um, you know, I think for my own, my just like, I've been dodging around actually, I guess, really saying what my real opinion is. But I am not opposed to the inclusion of stream data in Elixir because I think it is a really useful library um, and it will help people learn about these topics that are important, you know, at, at, at some level, like if you're, if you're working on a system, um, that necessarily has a, com like the kind of complexity that where you're worried about these kinds of things, like you need these, you need this sort of stand in for formal methods in some way. Like you need, you know, this sort of robustness that you're going to add to, to your system in order to validate that things actually work. And I think it's going to introduce people to that. You know, what people do with it is kind of up to them. And like, I don't know that we can like police that. But I will also say that, I don't know, like I'm, I know I'm going to regret saying this, but like I, I, I wish that like we could just use proper. You know what I mean? Like I wish Elixir Core could just use proper. And I totally understand why they can't. But it is a shame because there's so much good work that goes into proper. And it does so many things sort of all, I don't say already or whatever, but I mean, so much research and so much time and attention has gone into that library. Um, it is a really, really robust tool. Yes, of course it has edge cases and, and maybe the API isn't exactly what we would come up with as Elixir people. I think that's a thing that turns people off. Sometimes they look at it and it's like, this doesn't look like the kind of Elixir that I write at all. Um, stream data does. Stream data looks like an Elixir library, but you know, do I wish to some degree that we could just unify around a tool like that and put all of our resources into it? I kind of a little bit. Um, like I know, like I'm, I'm going to catch some heat. Saying <laughs> that, but like I kind of, I kind of do. Um, just because it has that, that backstory to it. Does that mean that we shouldn't include stream data in, in, in Elixir? I'm, I'm not really here to argue that. I actually think, I still think stream data is a great tool. I still think people should use it, um, especially if they're getting started. But, you know, I have my own, I have my own <clears throat> use cases and my own things that I deal with. And, you know, I have obviously like emotions wrapped up in this like 
kind of like anybody and and in a perfect world yeah i'd love to i'd love it if we could just use proper but i don't think that that means that stream data shouldn't, shouldn't exist no totally <laughs> so overall though it sounds like we all three year are in for well you didn't actually give your library. opinion i did what? what? Wait, no. You you gave someone else's I, no, opinion. No, no. He gave his opinion. No, no, he I, thinks that if the language is built using a tool. Okay, that's that is that that was it. That was your that was your whole that, thing about that's it. That's my opinion. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. And and I want my language to be built with property testing. So, yes, bring it in. So, so since you guys haven't been doing much of this, one of the other things that I've been looking at is purely functional data structures. I, I, to tell you the truth, haven't made it very far. Uh, looked at zippers and, and finger trees. Um, haven't implemented any of them, just been reading papers. And so, I don't know, reading papers is, is interesting too, if you like that kind of thing, I guess. But I really need to start getting in there and messing with them. So have you guys had any purely functional data structures experiences? I mean, outside of list. <laughs> <laughs> The so have did you pick up the Okasaki book? No. Are you familiar with the what Okasaki is this book? What book is that? Magic yeah. it, book. The Okasaki book uh, by Chris Okasaki was a I think it's called purely functional data data structures. I I forget the exact title, um, but it was sort of the book that proved you could do fast and efficient data structures that are mutable in a purely functional style, and he showed all these ways that you could actually start to construct this stuff. And, and the book is based on, I believe his, his, ah, I'm going to get this wrong. Either his thesis or his dissertation is based on academic research that he did. Um, it's a really short book, uh, all things considered uh, as far as like textbooks go, but it's a great read. And it is one that sits close to my desk. Like it is, it is one that I pull out and reference all the time. All of the implementations are done in, um, SML, uh, standard ML, and then there's uh, an appendix in the back with Haskell implementations. So if you're used to functional languages and you're willing to kind of like learn just a tiny bit about SML, um, which is probably worth doing anyway, then it's a really, really readable book. It makes tons of sense. And uh, yeah, he just walks through like all these these interesting data structures. He, he shows off different ways to talk about time complexities. Um, so, you know, uh, as opposed to using like big O, which is asymptotic time, he talks a lot about being able to use amortized time, which actually takes into account things like how often you're going to get pieces of data using kind of this, the, the, the statistical real world where not every piece of data is accessed as often. And he talks a lot about uh, amortized time and how we can optimize for amortized time, which is maybe a little bit closer to how the, the real world works. It's a really, really great read. Uh, highly, highly recommended. All right, I just looked it up. I haven't read it, but should we talk a little bit about that next time? Because that sounds really interesting. I would just like to dig into it oh, a little I, bit more. I, I need to read it. You guys are going to talk about it without me. Oh, we can wait. Oh, I yeah. forgot. Won't be here. Oh, yeah. No, we wait. <laughs> we'll wait for you. That'll also give us a little bit more time to read it. I'm going to be in the middle of the desert. That sounds so. fun. Yeah, I'm excited about that, but uh, it'll be nice quiet time. Never been alone in my life, so I'm going to spend four days alone in the desert. Oh, nice. I'm excited to hear how that goes. Are you going to take a, you should take <laughs> a purely functional data structures book with yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. It'll keep oh, you maybe, company. Maybe I should. The stars well, are going to be crazy to too. That That's going to be awesome. Oh, well, I kind of live in the middle of the country anyway. 
So I I live in the middle of the woods. That's I get to fair. see all the stars. I, yeah, most of them. That's that's <laughs> awesome. So one thing though that I've noticed when looking at implementations of the purely structural those things that we're talking about purely um, functional data <laughs> thank structures. You. Thank you. <laughs> PFDS uh, uh, is that some of the implementations especially for the complexities in times really rely on lazy evaluation. So, and if I guess we might want to define that. So lazy evaluation is where your functions and, and all their arguments and everything are not evaluated until it's actually used. So if you had a function that took in two arguments and then inside of it had an, uh, and if, and it doesn't actually use one of those arguments, even if that argument is a function call, it won't ever be evaluated. Uh, right. And this is, to be. this is, this is actually, um, one of the reasons why, oh, I just, well, actually do. Wow. <laughs> and I caught myself. But you caught yourself. It. You caught yourself. <laughs> Sorry about that. I Man. thought the title uh, <laughs> of this episode was going to be Will Riker, but it's, <laughs> but it's going to be Chris. Well, actually, um, that is one of the reasons that there's Haskell implementations in the back of the Okasaki book, uh, because they do have, especially when it comes to amortized time, a ton of implications, which I think will be super fun to talk about. So we'll put that on, we'll, we'll put that as like a piece of homework, uh, pick up the book. It's not too expensive depending on um, where, you know, what your local bookstores slash Amazon slash your favorite online retailer of books has. Um, and yeah, it's worth having a copy if, if you're if you're doing this kind of stuff, we'll get a link to it out there. Oh too. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah for we'll sure. put a link in the show notes. All right, uh, we should button this up. It's been this fun as me. always. <laughs> Anna's gotta go. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, y'all. I have to run. This has been fun. We will miss you next week. Amos, have fun in the desert. I will, and hopefully the the new microphone works out well. And your your new microphone that you're using right now, which is not the same as the new microphone you bought, right? No, this is a <laughs> this is the fancy carbon five microphone. Um, it, it is very fancy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just staring here. I stay, uh, I'm just sitting here staring at it. Like, it is so fancy. So pretty. All right, y'all. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye.